morning, everyone. So we're diving into Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And Josh just built a new shop and he's got a shower in it. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to be able to come early. I'll be all prepared. And I remembered everything but my sneakers. So close. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. So, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read to verse 25 with the goal of finishing to verse 25, and I know that probably won't happen, but that's all right. Now Saul was consenting to his death, his being Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of your wicked of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. All right, so here we see, obviously, quite the culture change um, from the previous chapters. And obviously, Stephen in chapter 7 is included in that. Uh, But now we have persecution. 
And so one of the first questions that was asked um, was persecution. Was this something that was good or bad? What, what were our thoughts on this case? And then maybe how do we extrapolate that into our lives? Any thoughts on that? I think that one of the things that uh, you see from the, the result of persecution here is that at this time, all the believers had stayed in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were thriving in Jerusalem, but the command of the Lord Jesus had been to go into all the world and the gospel, and this persecution forced them to do right. that. And so we today are recipients of them going out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think it would be hard to say that it was... Uh, a bad thing for right. the world because it was what God had intended for us mm-hmm. to do, for them to do. Mm-hmm. And we're still called to do it today. Right. So, and I've been considering this, and maybe I'll just give the background of my thoughts, and that will maybe help you understand where my next question comes from. Um, I, we were over at MBBI last weekend, and the preaching that was offered. I found very disappointing. I was really hoping to hear what Philip said. He preached Christ to them. And we just we didn't hear Jesus Christ crucified and the things that should happen after you believe. As we can see, we'll see with Simon the Sorcerer. He, he believed, but there was no true belief in him. Um, so we didn't get to, we just didn't see that. And I just was discouraged by that. And Right before I had gone to this, uh, this conference, I was listening to Richard Wormbrand, who was tortured for Christ. I don't know if you've read or, or listened to him at all. And he was just talking about how he was presenting the gospel to children. And one of his strategies, or not one of his strategies, this is what he did. Whenever he, there was a time that he got, I think he just got out of prison and was, knew he was about to go back in. And he just had this group of kids, I think he said there's around a dozen of them, and he said you can't take them to the underground church, like you just can't do church with them, right? You can't do kids club, you've, you've got to just work with what you have. So what he did is he took the kids to the zoo and stood them before the lions. And he said, he, he lived in Romania, obviously, he was in prison for many years and, and tortured brutally. And so he stood them before the lions and said, your forefathers were fed to these beasts. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, something worse than that is likely to be your fate. How many of you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your savior? And he said, with tears in their eyes, uh, they repented. You know, they came to Christ. And I was just thinking about my children. And I was just thinking, I want them to hear that. You know, I want them to hear, it will cost you everything to follow Jesus Christ. That's the expectation. It's not stand up and say a prayer. It's, it, is, it is supposed to be just something that is so real and meaningful and, and thought out. Right? There, there's supposed to be a cost. The Bible tells us there, there will be a cost. And that led me to wondering, this is the rabbit trail, 
that led me to wondering, should we be pay- praying for persecution? And I, I just submit to you that if you are not praying for revival of our church and of our nation, the next best thing you can be praying for for our church is persecution. Because other than a, a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, there is nothing else that will refine the church like the cost being made real. And that's obviously extraordinarily easy, easy to say, not having lost my job, not Richard Wormbrand. He also wasn't able to wear shoes because he had no skin left on the bottom of his feet. Like It had been torn off. He, talked, he was in solitary confinement for three years straight where the guards would have padded shoes on so there'd be no noise. And so it's obviously not, I don't want that, right? I do not want persecution, but I want the effects of persecution, right? I want the results of persecution in my life. So I, I, we see here how persecution was good and what the church's reaction was to persecution, um, they weren't trying to fight it politically. Uh, they preached the gospel as they went, and I'm not saying. And obviously, the disciples here were extraordinarily uh, bold and brave, even just staying in Jerusalem. Right? They they knew that they were the center hub. That was the center hub of Christianity, and it needed a foundation. Right? And Jesus said that on Peter, he would build his church on that rock. Um, and so we see, we see him being faithful, and obviously we have the rest of the Bible because they didn't fulfill or start the Great Commission right away. If they, had, if they had immediately went to the ends of the earth where they all got murdered later, we wouldn't have all the writings that we have. Um, so, anyway, I'm not really sure what you want to do with that. That was just my thoughts. <laughs> um, Rather, rather challenging. Rather challenging, yeah. Um, can we go back a little bit before uh, before we, we continue with the persecution? Mm. Because it seems that uh, uh, Luke is setting us up to introduce us to uh, the Apostle Paul. Mm. In uh, verse 59 of the previous chapter, it says that they have put their robes at the feet of Saul. And then the first word in, uh, in, in my Bible, anyway... In chapter eight, is Saul agreed to putting him to death, hmm. and then we have the persecution, and it seems that Paul is a driving force mm-hmm. in this persecution. Absolutely, which is rather interesting because uh, if Luke's introducing Saul, the Apostle Paul here, who was still Saul, then uh, it's. Uh, the whole, most of the rest of the book of Acts is going to be, uh, Paul's going to be front and center. Mm. So he's introducing us to this. And it's rather interesting. I was reading some someone said this and I'll quote because um, did Paul, Paul would understand what Stephen was talking about. He knew those scriptures. He knew that he knew what was put forward there. And Sometimes, did, did he realize that this was the truth? Was he convicted? Was he converted? I, I, I don't know. But I think at least he may have been convicted. 
And someone has said that it is common enough for a man under some deep conviction to try by action and fierce energy to resist the conclusion pressing upon him. Hmm. And uh, I wonder if that wasn't what was happening with what we see in Paul. And I believe that this chapter we have before us introduces us to, to the Apostle Paul. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Can I just make one remark? I, I, I feel your sentiment, what you said about persecution, but there's one other side to persecution. Mm-hmm. It can be devastating on the church. Mm-hmm. And not in a good way. Mm-hmm. So there's two sides. For example, when you think about the country of Iraq, mm-hmm. where much has happened, many Christians have been chased out of the land and there is far less presence of Christians there than before. Now it does say in First Timothy 2, where it says that we are to pray for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. And then it says this, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So even though all who what persecution was, that was still his desire. So it's not wrong to desire a quiet and peaceable life. I mean, really, if we know this, that persecution will will often, you know, make us realize what what are we really living for. If we know this, should that not motivate us now? Then should really it should. Yeah, absolutely, it should. And and a hundred percent, I agree that revival is definitely should be top of our priority list when we're praying. And yeah. Any more thoughts on that? Just, just the one thing that uh, Scripture also tells us: all who will live godly will suffer persecution. Uh-huh. So, attaching to what you're talking about revival, if there's true revival, you don't really have to pray for persecution. You're going to face it. Yeah. If we're really out there in the world claiming Christ as a Savior, the only way, you're going to feel it. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so maybe we'll move on to, well, just a second little thought in verse 2. We see the devout men carrying Stephen to his burial, and they made a great lamentation over, over him. And I thought that was interesting, just that obviously these are very godly men, and they mourned, right? It wasn't sometimes people might feel the pressure just to, just to, to almost rejoice at the fact that their loved one is in a better place. But clearly, it, it is obviously not wrong for the sorrow to be real um, and, to, and to feel that deeply. And that's not, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, we're sorrow, but not as others. Mm-hmm. Right. Hope. Yep. Yep, Absolutely. Any more, any more comments in the first three verses before we, we move on? So then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Question about what happened to those believers who Paul put in prison. Mm-hmm. And um, Paul talks about that in various places. For example, in Galatians, it says he 
he persecuted them beyond measure. So it wasn't this simple putting in prison, but he probably tortured them, I think, and maybe some were even killed, like Stephen was. And then um, it says right here in the chapter that he was making havoc of the church, and he wanted to really destroy it in a sense, get rid of them all, get them all out of, out of Jerusalem. He didn't want that around. And then um, in Philippians, also in 3 6, it says that he persecuted the church. So there was, it was something that was not something simple. It was very dramatic, very violent. Uh, this, was, this wasn't just fun play. It was very serious, very dramatic. Mm. You wonder what, what changed Saul, because it says in chapter 7 that he just was there. He was a witness of this, of this uh, stone. But then... <clears throat> It moves on in just four verses. You don't know the time period, but but he's actually the one doing it. Yeah. He's actually seeking people out to persecute. So we don't know exactly what happened between those two verses, but something changed in a bad way for him. Yeah, it was a it was a breaking point, and not only for him, but for you know the other religious leaders at the time, where they had had enough. Right? They had enough. Yeah. Stephen's martyrdom was just like, okay, uh-huh. we're going full, full, full yeah. force here. Yeah, it's a spark, right? Before that, there hadn't been that. There had been some, uh, a little bit of prison time, but there was, there's not this kind of response. I think they were encouraged because um, Pilate and the Romans killed, killed Jesus mm-hmm. for, on, on behalf of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. But they seemed to have hands off when it came to Stephen's. And again, here we, here we see the positive effect, right? There's obviously tremendous suffering, and here we see what happens, and it's as they scatter, they're preaching the word. And that should just be a very simple, encouraging reminder to us. We're going to leave this building tonight, and we're going to scatter. And as we go, we should be selling the word. We should be, we should be uh, evangelizing. Well, Philip was preaching... Mm-hmm. But I don't. I suspect that the, the regular people weren't. Uh, I, I think I've had, heard that the word interpreted that they gossiped the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, that they were they were taking the gospel by by lip and by mm-hmm. and by uh, by life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. House to house, they weren't standing in the. I don't think most of these people were standing in the the town square. No. They were as they were relocating their homes. Sharing the good news Everything with their neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually different words being used for the word preached in the Greek. There's at least three different words. I actually marked it down in verse 4 and 5. There's two different words. 
and that the, the word used in verse 4 is the same in verse 12, which is evangelize. And then in verse 25, it's the word to talk or utter words. They preach the word of the Lord. And then it says at the end of verse 25, preaching the gospel, which again is evangelize. But in verse 5, it says to Philip, he preached Christ to them. That's public proclamation. It's a different, it's a different word. Uh, if you have an, an Darby translation, every time the word evangelize comes up, he translates that with announce. Mm. And so that is something that every Christian can do. Mm -hmm. But public proclamation is not something every Christian is called to do. Mm -hmm. that's, that's left to uh, specifically evangelists. That publicly preach, proclaim the gospel. And both of those things should be happening. Yeah, absolutely. So again, we see Philip going down to the city of Samaria and preaching to them. And any any thoughts on why this was, you know, a big step, a big step for for Christianity and as a whole, the church as a whole. Well, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they had they were half castes. Mm -hmm. They had intermarried with the Assyrians in previous years. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever the Jews went that way, they bypassed them. They wouldn't even go through there. The Lord Jesus was an exception to that, of course. But he didn't, he didn't bypass. He went through and met the ladies at the well. But um, they were despised. And, and they were looked down at as, you know, just half-castes, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And they, they weren't accepted in Jerusalem at all. They, they were despised. So it means that the gospel is not just for the upright Jews, but it's even mm -hmm. for the despised Samaritans. It's even for people like us who are Gentiles. <laughs> Thank God for that. Yeah, amen. I think this is the first step in going out. You know, this is the they've been confined to the Jews. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to the half Jews, and we're going to see going to the Gentiles. It's a progression. Mm -hmm. They have to reconcile this division that exists between Jews and Samaritans and recognize that the gospel overcomes all those, those uh, barriers. Hmm. So it's working out the Great Commission. Right? Yes. If you want to read about the origin of the Samaritans, you should read the last part of 2 Kings 17. That's where it's mentioned where the Samaritans come from. Hmm. And so now we see, going into verse 6, the multitudes, when they hear, it's very much like what happened uh, whenever Peter and the Twelve were preaching at the start. They're coming, they, with one accord, heed the things spoken by Philip, uh, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So again, this is an obvious display of of an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit with with conviction. You no, know, it's not just it, it is 
a true from darkness to light scenario where a whole, you know, whole cities were coming to Christ. I think there's a practical lesson we see Philip and the Samaritans as well because I asked one of the questions was do we have any Samaritans in our day? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about some of the situations that my wife and I saw in Zambia. For example, one time my wife found this fellow who had fallen off his bicycle in the ditch because he was drunk. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes we say, well, he does that, we'll leave him there. But she did She picked him up, put him in the back of the truck, Took him, took him to his village and then preached to him. <laughs> and uh, I heard another story of another man who saw a drunk in the ditch and he thought uh, he deserved that. But then the spirit caused him to turn his car around. He went back, picked him up, took him to his home, put him on a bed and let him sleep it out. And the next morning he shared the gospel because he used to be like that himself. And that's something that's not easy. It's getting out of our comfort zones. And I was thinking about people like, you know, how do we deal with people who are gay or lesbian or whatever, how do we reach, reach them? And we're probably we're afraid even to talk to them. But they're, they're the Samaritans. Um, and people who are, you know, drunkards and people who are known thieves and so on. How do we, do we just reject them right away or do we want to help them? So that's a challenging question. The Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Terrible Good Samaritan. Yeah. Right. So, again, here we see uh, Philip performing miracles, and unclean spirits were coming out. Uh, People where the paralyzed were restored, the lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. And I was just thinking, uh, oh, we're pretty well out of time. Uh, Just something to consider whenever we're for, for next time. They, they could see that the Holy Spirit had come upon the people. And it seems like most time in the Bible, or if you look at different denominations, people would associate that with speaking in tongues. And, and again, not always. That, that's just something, especially in some denominations, that would be, it would be associated with. And yet, that's the one thing Philip doesn't do. Right? He is performing miracles. He is healing people. Um, but he's not speaking in tongues. Uh, and why he already speaks the language right there is no need for god to to have him speak another language whenever it's a common language um, but the holy spirit didn't come upon them until the apostles came up from jerusalem mm-hmm. yeah and that's for next week we can't get into that one until no, next but, week Loud. what i'm saying is they, they had signs and miracles mm-hmm. that jesus performed mm-hmm. but uh, the holy spirit hadn't uh, they didn't have the Holy Spirit up until that time. No, absolutely. So, on that cliffhanger, so we have time to pray, because I like praying. Um, I'll just turn it over to Dave. Thanks, Thomas. You ended up uh, packing them in? Yeah. We were joking earlier. Uh, all right, so I, again, I forgot the letters at home, so I don't have any letters to read.